Altitude's undefeated. Crap, maybe we'll punch it up, whatever it was in. Not a huge fan of it, I don't know where I was going. I don't think I was running and starting <laughs> to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Hello, Colorado Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. It is Tuesday, February 28th, 2023, and my name is Matt Pollard. Lionel Messi is the FIFA Men's Player of the Year, but more importantly, Major League Soccer is back. St. Louis City are crafty cynics. Philadelphia Union are still really, really good. And Snow Traffico got canceled because the Rose Bowl was very poorly designed relative to new stadia. And Snow Traffico, I love that. And the Colorado Rapids had their annual sleepless night in Seattle, uh, so much so that fictional Rapids blogger Abraham Weston has already given up on the season joining me now to convince every single one of us that every little thing is going to be all right rastafari and rabbi mark goodman wow that's uh unique i missed the connection what is the rastafarian connection to either major league soccer or the colorado rapids matt what did i miss uh well mark you're here to convince us that every little thing's gonna be all right it's just a straight bob marley reference there's no soccer hook in with bob marley other than the fact that i own a t-shirt with Bob Marley dribbling a soccer ball on it. Bob was a big... Have I ever told the story of Ziggy Marley on this podcast? No, let's talk about it. Really cool story, really quick, and it's vaguely soccer-related. When I was a senior at George Washington University, I worked in the Crystal City Mall, which is right across from uh, National Airport, and uh, I worked at a sporting goods store, and um, it was a pretty terrible job. You know, like, I was only... I was only important enough to fold t-shirts. I was not valuable enough to the corporation to work in shoes because shoes is like, you know, the big money. Not that we worked on commission or anything. Um, it was a pretty terrible place to work. But one cool thing happened, Matt. One day I was working at the um, store and it was pretty empty in the mall. And as I'm waiting in the store, f- like for customers to come in, I look out the door and there's like 30 Rastafarians walking toward me and right in the middle of them is what I swear to uh to Rasta to to Haile Selassie looked like Bob Marley himself but of course I'm not that old Bob passed I think in 1982 and this would have been 1998 and so I'm just I'm just so confused I'm like Bob Marley and 30 Rastafarians are walking towards me and as I got closer, I realized, oh, no, that's Ziggy Marley. Ziggy Marley's in town with the Melody Makers, and they're playing a concert. And they all walked into our sporting goods store, and they bought everything. They bought shoes. They bought hats. They bought baseball bats. They bought soccer balls. They bought um, T-shirts. They bought sweatsuits. They brought the whole – they, like, bought out the store. They, like, spent thousands and thousands of dollars at Champ Sporting Goods in the Crystal City Mall. And I got to – Meet Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers, and it was definitely uh, as cool as you would imagine it to be. They were exactly as nice as you would imagine a bunch of Rastafari uh, musicians would be. 
Very interesting stuff, Rabbi. And I should point out, Bob Marley <laughs> does have a connection to Ajax in the Eredivisie, actually. There was a friendly that they were playing preseason in 2008, and the match got delayed or something, I think it was. And so the stadium DJ, in order to entertain the fans and everything, uh, started playing Three Little Birds, and that caught on. And so it's the, I would say, from a... I, if you were to make like a like how Apple wants to do the like Spotify playlist specific to the club, Three Little Birds would probably be top ten all time for Ajax. Obviously for for the Rapids, I'd assume you'd have uh, John Denver in there, maybe some three hundred three. I'd be curious. We should look that up, Rabbi. But speaking of which, Mark, Johnny Five and the Flowbots. Uh, Johnny Five and the Flowbots. That's a good call. Um. So MLS is back, Rabbi, and we both took in and, you know, consumed via fire hose the Apple TV stuff that was going on and everything, obviously, all day on Saturday. Then we obviously had the Rapids game on Sunday and yesterday at times of recording, Mark, we had Monday Night Football for some opposition research of Sporting Kansas City. Mark, it was the first rollout of a whole new platform and everything. What did we think of how Apple and MLS Season Pass did? I mean, you know, it's... um... I think a lot of us who are on the media side are just pleasantly surprised. I think everything worked out pretty smoothly. Um, the thing that, and I, I have to be honest, I'm not sure I noticed myself until other people noticed it, but a lot of people noticed that the picture quality was really, really good. Yes. Um, I didn't think about it until I guess I'd watched the second game on Saturday, and then when I really kind of focus on the Sunday and the Monday games, I was like, yeah, this is pretty consistently good. Now, I had pretty good experiences with most of the broadcasts that I'd watched on ESPN+. Plus. I will say that the quality of Fox broadcasts last season was noticeably not so great. Um, the other thing that was interesting to notice was apparently, for those who didn't watch the Apple version of the Sunday night game, they had John Strong and um, uh, Stu Holden, and they did that game remotely, and they had basically like a really crappy little tarp and a folding table um, behind them, and it really looked janky in third rate. So that was an interesting note notice, which is that as Apple has scaled up what they're doing, Fox has scaled back what they're doing. You know, they, they've, they've tried less hard. Um, I think the only last comment I'll make, and I made this on Twitter for those who follow me on Twitter, is I was not really happy with the broadcast pair that handled the Colorado Rapids. I'm not going to talk about them again when we talk about the Rapids match against Seattle, so I'll talk about them now. But like, there were a couple games where I really enjoyed the broadcast pair, um, but the Rapids game was not one of them. Um, it just wasn't. The, the, the two guys were just as blank milk toast and cliche as possible they kind of talked about the game they had some points where it seemed like they didn't really have a strong grasp on who all the rapids players were um there were times when even with the seattle players where a ball would get kicked out to the guy at right back or, or at, at right wing and they wouldn't announce the guy's name and i could tell because i've you know watched enough soccer that they weren't doing it because they wanted to create space for the game to evolve or whatever. They were doing it because they didn't really know who that guy was. They didn't seem prepared. They didn't have any stories. They didn't have any depth. Um, you know, I mean, like, even even to the point where they started to talk about Andreas Maxo, and they were like, he's a player who, who's just joined the team from, from abroad. And then I was like, now's the time where you look in your notes and you tell us all about 
what he did last year for Bromby and how old he is, what year and, 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 uh, and, you know, how many years he's played and, you know, what, what his scouting report is. And they didn't say anything. And I was like, these two guys could not be less prepared to do a broadcast um, in the world. And that was a little disappointing. And I think I, I only say that because I think everybody's got glowing praise of, of Apple. And I think a lot of the broadcasters are very good. I watched um, last night's game, Matt, and um, the, the Portland match. Sorry for those of you who are not figuring out what last night means in the context of whenever you're listening to this podcast. Um, but you and I were both listening to the Portland, watching the Portland game, uh, Portland SKC game. And um, that was Max Bretos and um, Tony Miola, the, I believe. Uh, no, it was, uh, it was, uh, uh, Dunny. It was, yes, um, Brian Dunseth, correct. Brian Dunseth. And they're fantastic. I mean, they did a great job. They, they hold the space. They, they're knowledgeable. They know when to let the game breathe. They have that kind of like pacing where they're able to call the action as it goes without, you know, falling behind by talking too much. They just were really, really wonderful. So I say that by saying like, there are some really good apple pairings out there. Um, uh, and you know, we're getting a different rotation this week. And so that's, that's important to me because I do really care about the listening. Um, sorry, I'm going on and on and on. Matt, what did you notice from the Apple broadcast that you liked? What didn't you like? Anything that kind of jumped out at you? Yeah, well, Mark, first of all, I would say I think a lot of the broadcasts, you know, they clearly were in preseason mode and everything. And so I would be less harsh on the broadcast group that was ultimately calling the Rapids game. And I'm not just saying that because I interviewed Adrian Heath on Friday. Excuse me, not Adrian Heath. Heath Pierce, excuse me, on Friday. And we ran his interview as a series of interviews in the pod on Sunday and everything. But as he pointed out, Mark, you've got a lot of people. It's a lot of people who are on team-specific beats that now— now are going to have to be more knowledgeable about stuff. You know, um, when Richard Fleming and Marcelo Baboa did Rapids games, they understood that they were doing it for a Rapids audience and they could be Rapids focused in terms of their knowledge to an extent. And now you're calling it effectively as a neutral broadcast. And then in theory, you've got one pocket of one group of fans, one pocket of another group of fans, maybe more so the away team than the home team. And and then a mix of neutrals as well. And then how do you pair that and do that from a balance standpoint? You know, um, Kevin Egan, for example, Mark, who was with Chicago Fire for a number of years and then most recently was covering Atlanta United from their inaugural season and everything. He spent his entire time in the MLS broadcasting space in the Eastern Conference. You can count on one hand the number of Colorado Rapids games that he's had to call. How many times has he had to do actual prep for the Colorado Rapids? Is he less knowledgeable about them? So, so I, I'm I'm a little bit more forgiving on that. That being said, Mark, if we're still if we're still having this conversation in June, I'm going to be really annoyed, and I'm going to be really curious. Are some of these guys on one year contracts, and is there opportunities for them to maybe rotate out and get some possible talent that may or may not have some familiarity with the Colorado Rapids and maybe took a job with USA Archery but are overqualified for it? I don't know. Um, <laughs> Uh, I really liked the uh, the MLS 360 show, Mark, uh, and Taylor Twelman kind of came in and brought really good energy and bravado, maybe more so than maybe what he was allowed to or able to at ESPN that I really liked. And I think if they really nail that from a timing standpoint, that could be like the running, like – 
the the fact that the show's kind of going on consistently throughout the Saturday night and everything, potentially you or I, Mark, if we're talking about an away game, obviously, because if it's the home game for 7.30, then I'm probably in the press box 6, 6.30 at the absolute latest, so I'm not watching a lot of the 5.30 games. But say I start watching some of the, um, the Eastern Conference games and everything, if one of those are lame or if there's not something crazy going on or there isn't like a red card or a fight or anything, I can switch over to MLS 360, piggyback that into the Rapids game, and then if there's a match matchup that I really like after the Rapids are over in the Pacific time zone, I can watch that or go to MLS 360. MLS 360 is just like the running, it could be the running like studio stream of what they have live and updated as well. And if they nail that, that could be fantastic, Mark, in the way that um, when ESPN had the US Open Cup access and they did like a whip around show and everything like that, that could be the MLS equivalent of NFL Red Zone. If they do that really, really well, that would be a fantastic, that's a marquee, here's why you need to get this and have this that is an extra bonus that you get with it in ways that you know some of the that I don't even think Peacock with the Premier League has fully nailed down yet they've got a bunch of other great evergreen content and supplementary content as well but something that's live in with the action on match days could be fantastic so um and I agree with you Mark I immediately noticed the picture quality being much much better as well kind of just further highlighting that um you know, I, I think now that Fox knows that they don't have exclusive stuff and maybe the Spanish language, I think it's 2DN, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, has the Spanish language broadcast as well, that they're going to put less resources because they know that they're not getting that exclusively. But maybe that means that Apple puts in more resources. So hopefully this coming week is way better than the first week was. And hopefully they're in a rhythm by June. And hopefully by the time we get to the start of 2024, things are awesome and way better than it ever was on ESPN+. Plus. Something that was not better on Saturday, on Sunday night, folks, was the Colorado Rapids 4-0 loss to Seattle Sounders. Um, Mark, where the heck do I want to start with this? Um, let's start with the lineup, I suppose. Uh, the lineup came out, Rabbi, and I immediately thought this is going to be potentially really, really bad. Diego Rubio was ruled out. The night before the game, Jack Price was listed as questionable with a back injury, and he ultimately was on the bench, did not feature in this game. Kevin Cabral, not on the MLS availability report, and was also on the bench. So you had Connor Ronan in the Jack Price role, and Cole Bassett and Ralph Prizzo in the midfield as well. And you had Darren Yappi making now back-to-back MLS starts, his two starts that he's had in MLS in his career, Rabbi, being decision made last year against Austin, and then now this game as well. Eventually, is going to get to start a home game or against not a very good team that wears green on the road. Mark, it, it it got off to a decent and really pacey start for me in the first 15 minutes. Darren Yappi almost hits, you know, hits the crossbar, almost chips Stefan Fry two minutes in. Two minutes later, Christian Roldan also hits the crossbar as well. And then in the 15th minute, kind of that's when the snowball started getting bad for the Colorado Rapids. Jordan Morris scores um, in the, excuse me, this was Christian Roldan scoring on a double header in the 25th minute. You had a long ball in to Jordan Morris with Gersh back out of position. Uh, there's maybe a question mark there, I think, Mark, of spacing with him, Prusso, and Maxu. Abubakar tries to clear, ultimately isn't able to get to the ball, and then Keegan Rosenberry um, caught napping positionally against Christian Roldan, who heads it right at Yarbrough, gets the rebound, and then heads the ball in. Uh, 45th minute, uh, it's 2-0 from Jordan Morris on another weird doubleheader situation. <laughs> a long ball with Gersh back out of position. Lawless Abubakar clears it straight to an attacker who sends it back in, and then it's Jordan Morris who's able to get it off a deflection off of Lal Sububakar's chest to score it and make it 2-0, and that was after a really decent 15-minute period where I thought the Rapids possessed the ball better and really slowed things down. 
Hebert opens his Sounders account unassisted in the 53rd minute. Um, Ronan gives the ball away in midfield. No pressure on the ball whatsoever, Mark. That was a theme on the goals given up. And ultimately, Lawless Abubakar tries to clear it, but really just stops the ball right on a dime for Hebert to smash it in. Oive indeed. Yarbrough makes a really nice save on a bear in the 58th to kind of redeem his night from an individual performance standpoint. Yappy goes 1v1 with Fry, gets stopped. Yappy sets up Barrios 1v1 on Fry, gets stopped. Norton Morris makes it 4-0 on a weird corner that deflects off of three different heads. I think it was off of Max Shu, off of an attacking Sounders player, off of Max Shu, and then to uh, Morris at the back post to make it 4-0 on the 83rd minute. Max, who came off the bench, uh, comes in and almost hits the far post on the 90th minute, but... All of these chances really, Mark, were consolation prizes and too little, too late after the game was really already 3-0. Normally, we'd start with good thing, Rabbi, but I feel like it's only fitting we start with bad. Where would you like to start? Well, so the two things that are the most bad things, um, the way the midfield and the forwards either failed to possess the ball or struggled to mark and defend in open space was really the undoing in the first half that there was no coming back from. Um, you'll see a lot in back pass, which will come out tomorrow morning. That'll cover this in, in our, for those of you who are subscribers to our Substack. um, whether you get the free subscription or the paid subscription, you'll get this one. Um, you know, in both the first and the second goals, there were some serious mistakes made. It seems like the team was somewhat committed to counterpressing, which means when Seattle um, regained the ball in their own third, the Rapids would try and take it away immediately. And they didn't do that very well. They both failed to press and regain the ball, but they also put themselves in a really bad position of not closing out out the the opponent and Seattle was really able to break quickly and get down the wings put in crosses or put balls behind the back line and create problems most of our fans I think and most of the folks I know from uh, Rapids Twitter were mostly really upset at our two center backs or specifically one of our center backs um, but most of the goals, all almost all, all three of the four goals, I would say, really inig- originated as an original sin out of the midfield or even before the midfield with the Rapids, like just being like letting the opposition go through like a knife through butter, you know, and, and that's not going to work uh, for the team long term. But the second thing I'll say that the other bad thing before I turn it over to you, Matt, is um, you know, Lalas Bubakar had kind of a nightmare night. One of the things we know about Lalas is he can be a total beast out there and absolutely, you know, dominate. He'll he'll get a headed goal in the air or even, you know, a, a sliding volley like he did last year. Um, he'll clear everything. He'll be, you know, incredibly physically present. And then there's other games where he makes a couple mistakes. And in this game, he made a bunch of little mistakes that third goal where he as you said he kind of like put a foot on it and stopped it dead right in front of the goal so that somebody else could poke it in you know that's not okay like that's if if when you're trained to be a soccer player professional defending soccer player when you get to the ball 
your whole job is to put your foot through it, your chest through it, your head through it, so that you push it out of danger. And Abubakar was just kind of falling backwards and poking at it in a way that made me think like, dude, if you're not going to make a play on it, or if you're going to literally basically hand it off for an assist to the opponent, you might as well let somebody else make a play on it. Um, that said, you know, the whole back line was a nightmare this week. I hope that that gets better. I want you to talk about those problems or you to talk about the other problems. Most of my focus was on defensively the way this team didn't do very well. Um, I am interested in seeing if, if you have any comments about why the offense was sputtering, but um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about what was wrong with this team this week, Matt. Yeah, Mark, you mentioned that uh, that you noticed the Rapids community being mostly upset at the center backs. I don't know if there's something different that Elon's doing as far as the coding and the algorithm <laughs> in our For You ask, uh, section on Twitter, but most people seem to be really, really mad at the fullbacks. You know, you had... I saw that too. Yeah, so, I saw that so too. So three of the four goals, let's let's throw out the, the set-piece goal at the end, Mark, because that was just, that was such a weird bounce and then really fortuitous for Jordan Morris and everything. If there's any goal of these four folks that is absolutely fluky and not like something that you can specifically say a Rapids player needed to do this differently. It's the fourth goal. The other three, I think, are, you know, unfortunately a nightmare return to what we saw last year on so many levels. And so I'll start with the fullbacks, Mark, because all three of those goals that you had from the run of play, ultimately something went wrong in the midfield, as you mentioned. The ball got out wide always to the right, ultimately came back to the left. It happened in three different ways. I won't go over that. And then ultimately come center where the Rapids should have a numerical advantage or at the very least are numerically even. And then somebody ultimately makes a big mistake that then allows that goal to be scored. So I want to start with Alex Gershback, who obviously a lot of people were roasting on Twitter, not just the not just Rapids fans. Um, I think Matt Doyle had a, a decent burn on him as well. Mark, I, I want to let's start with the first goal, where I think uh, I think we thought that Gershback was further upfield than I think he actually was, given how far the ball was played into space to Jordan Morris. If you go back and you look at folks, there's almost a, like a hand waving and maybe a communication between him, Prizo, Nakshu. Prizo is closest to the man on the ball that ultimately plays Jordan Morris through. I wonder if there's a positional spacing issue going on there, Mark. You mentioned the issues in the midfield. I don't know what Prizo was doing in this game, and there were long stretches where I wasn't sure what Cole Bassett was doing. Did they have a lot of energy? Yes. Did both of them and did Connor Ronan move around a whole lot? Absolutely. They covered a lot of space, and they pressed really well in those opening 15 minutes, but a lot of their movement was out of position or just energy expended that it that didn't need to be that didn't really have a purpose they were chickens with their head cut off for long stretches as well from that standpoint from just the pass to play Morris through I'm more upset at Prizo because he didn't realize that maybe he had to get to the ball and then at that point Gershback is caught in no man's land because he's not sure what Prizo is doing and then ultimately Max Shu has to catch up to Jordan Morris I'm sure he's a great player and everything Mark who do you think's faster J-Mo Smooth or Max Shu? yeah right uh, definitely. Yeah, so then the ball obviously gets played in and Keegan Rosenberry is out of position. Um, Mark, I think we're at the point where we've seen this regularly enough, just what you mentioned with Lawless and then Keegan as well, to where I, I kind of... I, I, it's the first game of the season. Maybe it was jitters. Seattle's a very good team. Seattle was looking to make a statement in this game and everything. But if this is something that I see, uh, I'll say two more times on a goal conceded between now and the end of March... I'm almost ready to like label Keegan Rosenberry no longer an elite Mr. Reliable Iron Man defender, given what he had last season. And to your point, 
about Lal Sabubakar, you know, we mentioned that he's unlucky in these situations or they seem to be fortuitous bounces for the opponents. We were saying this last year, Mark. We even said this during his few bad times, bad stretches that he had in 21. We were saying about this as well. At some point, I think we have to acknowledge this isn't just unluckiness. This is something that's repetitive. There's something that he's doing about how he's trying to clear the ball or the pressure that's on him. Maybe it's mental or just his positioning to where he can then play the ball to where he doesn't completely clear his lines. He should have done that on the first goal. He should have chested. If he was going to chest it down, he needed to immediately clear it off his foot, play it out for a corner if you have to on the first Jordan Morris goal as well. So, you know, and then obviously the, the one thing that you can't do to your point, Rabbi, is stop it right on a dime for a bear. Of, of all the like, the, what's the what's the one move you absolutely cannot do there? It's that. You're almost better off letting it go through and seeing if somebody else gets to it or if you, or, you know, maybe Yarbrough, maybe you yell keeper and have William Yarbrough go after as well. But I, I thought the fullbacks had individual moments that were poor. I think Gershbach has been unfairly over-criticized for his positioning on some of these goals as well. I think there were issues in the midfield that ultimately set himself up to not be successful in that regard. And I think there were other things that ultimately were more at fault in that regard. I think Lawless is more at fault at on two of the first three goals given up than Gershbach is at fault for the others on that. Um... You asked me to talk about the offense, Mark. I'm wondering where the offense was on this. Um, they had a, they had stretches where they had the ball, but they weren't able to break Seattle down really until you got to until it was 3-0 at that point, at, at which point Brian Smetzer says, you know, hey, let's pack it in, guys, and protect for the clean sheet. You know, the that, that's not a good thing. That's not a moral victory. That's an understandable. The opponent played the game state. Of course you were going to have more of the ball and then have chances. But really, you know, Yappi made that really good run to set up uh, – a one we won with Fry, but Fry's very good in that situation, and Mark Michael Barrios had a similar play as well. But Mark, th- this attack was absolutely toothless through the first hour, sixty-five minutes of this game. It makes me question from a possession standpoint: were they not making passes to ultimately open things up that they could have? In that regard, were they maybe missing Danny Wilson, or was Mac with the what you'd want from Max Shu, he wasn't doing what Danny Wilson would normally do. Not saying that Wilson would have done any better on any of the three four goals that the Rapids conceded in that regard. And I think clearly as much as Connor Ronan, I think, filled in okay as a Jack Price replacement, he was certainly better than Brian Acosta has been on average in that role in the last year. He's not Jack Price, and his passing wasn't good enough to open Seattle up in ways that ultimately needed to happen. And fundamentally, Mark, from an offensive standpoint, I, I haven't seen a game in the last, what, I'll, I'll say year, 12 months, uh, not so sure about 2021, I'd have to go back and look at it, but all of 2022 and then one sample size of 2023, the Rapids are not a remotely convincing attacking threat without, without Diego Rubio on the field. As much as Darren Yappi, I think, huffed and puffed and did as much as he could with limited service, and that was really disappointing. Rabbi, do you have any other bad things other than the fact that we finally got to see Brian Gal- Galvan back on the field in competition? That wasn't a bad thing. I said any more good things, excuse me. Oh, we're on to good things? I'm on to good things. That was my good thing. I have more good things. I actually, I'm not as pessimistic on the offense. I'm, I, I think uh, a team that produces, according to FB Ref, 1.4 expected goals is not so bad. Uh, I, I thought that some of the chances that Colorado produced were pretty decent. Um, and in a better game, they get one, maybe two goals out of this game. And that's, I think, probably why I was mentally focused on the defense, because if we defend better, there's a there's a universe in which if 
And you're right, Matt, 100%. Um, both I saw on Twitter and I agree with your assessment that the fullbacks were bad in this game. Gersbach and Rosenberry were both pretty terrible in this game. There were moments at which I thought, though, and this is a thing that's common when you watch enough soccer, and especially enough Colorado Rapids soccer, where you wonder whether the fullbacks aren't responsible for the problems because the manager was the one who told them, we want you to push up high um, in attack. We want you to provide width for the team while the while the midfielders kind of scrunch in or make second runs, you know, late runs into the box. Like, that's how you use your fullbacks in modern football. So if the manager tells the fullbacks to do that, that's a great example from, like, the Anthony Hudson days, right? Anthony Hudson was a guy who told his fullbacks how to operate. And so I always thought that the problems that originated at fullback were the manager's fault. You have a good point, though. It's unclear. There is an example that you'll see in back pass where I did a deep dive into Alex Gersbach on one play where he kind of blew it, right? He he failed to figure out which, def- which uh, attacker he should be covering because he didn't cover anybody. The Rapids conceded a goal. Um, but anyways, my point going back is I was actually kind of happy with the Rapids offense. They provo- they produced 1.4 expected goals. Um, there were moments at which they produced some really nice chances. Lalas Abubakar had a pretty good uh, uh, shot in the 39th minute. Um, that first shot that Darren Yappi had, um, which twinked off the uh, crossbar, was a really great chance, and I really liked that he had the gall to take it, right? That's a lot of audacity from a from a young player in, in his first start of the season, you know, to just be like, I'm going to wind it up, I'm going to step out, I'm going to toink it, and put a lot of spin on it, and that was really great to see. Um, there were a few other play, uh, plays in the game where the Rapids offense produced some chances. Michael Barrios had a nice chance in the 69th minute that produced uh, .32 expected goals. Um, but, you know, the other thing is this Seattle team, this is a good thing. This Seattle team is very, very, very good. They're an excellent soccer team. They're going to pull apart and make a lot of other opponents look bad. It's hard to judge this game on uh, uh, an even keel on a level playing field because, you know, this is a Seattle team that was two games away from facing Real Madrid for the World Heavyweight Championship. You know, just a few weeks ago, to that end, I mean, they were probably in preseason a little bit earlier than the Rapids were. Um, their ceiling is a lot higher. They're also they they're coming off a bad season in terms of MLS play. Last year, they finished way down in the table. In fact, I believe they were below the Rapids. Colorado was tenth, and Seattle was eleventh in the Western Conference table. Um, while they simultaneously won the CONCACAF Champions League for the first time in MLS history. So this is a team that needs to come in motor revving, proving that they are um, a really good soccer team and that last year was a little weird and fluky. They have a lot that they want to show off that they they started off in this game proving it. And and the other thing is they they had talent, you know, up and down the lineup. And and I, I was really impressed with Seattle. And that means that, you know, we're grading the Rapids on a curve a little bit. You know, this is, this is just the first game of the year. They've got time. So that's, those are good things. I mean, I think, you know, we, we should have been better against Seattle, but the fact that we weren't, you know, I, last week, Matt, you and I, neither of us picked the Rapids to win this game. 
So the fact that they take zero points doesn't really matter that they took zero points and the game wasn't that close because we didn't expect them to win. It's, you know, reload and come back stronger next week. Well said there, Mark. You know, so I guess uh, we can pivot this into big things, Rabbi. You know, my overarching takeaway from this game, Seattle Sounders look like a team that are very good, were fully healthy, have been very cohesive together. I mean, I, I, I don't have this stat in front of me, but like how many years has it been, you know, Rui Diaz, uh, Nuhu, uh, Gomez Andrade, Jao Paulo, um, uh, Stefan Fry. Like, how how long have they had that core together realistically? It's Jordan, been, Morris. Jordan Morris, right? Yeah, those guys have been together for at least three years. Yeah, so we're we're gonna roast Alex Gershbach because he's playing in his first game ever in MLS. He's brand new to the league. He's playing in front of a midfielder who's 19 years old, who's young in that regard he's on a back four that the center back to his right is also brand new and they haven't played together as well there's potentially an english barrier there as well and he's going up against the roldan brothers who've been playing together since they were like five years old and have been playing together at the club level and won major trophies together for like the last two three years together so you know seattle looks like a cohesive well-oiled MLS juggernaut and the Rapids look like a team that were playing on the road had were missing their two most important players in Jack Price and in Diego Rubio and I think collectively ultimately back to front those two touch every aspect of what they're doing defensively and attacking wise um and they look like a team that was trying to embed in three new debutants in Connor Ronan and Alex Gershbach and Andreas Mekshu. And they had a guy making his second ever MLS start at the professional level up top. And they got torn apart accordingly. So in that regard, Mark, I agree with you. You know, it's a, you know, grading on a curve. Connor Ronan said post game, you know, it's not the worst time for us to have this kind of result. If anything, this is the one that you put behind you after you take some lessons to learn from that. And on that note, Mark, I have to point out, I think we had a first in uh, Robin Frazier post-game media availability where he started out immediately taking responsibility for something and then like acknowledging that like this is on me, not necessarily on the player. So here's the quote. Uh, quote, I have to take some of the blame. Seattle on the road, perhaps we may have been a bit too aggressive. We certainly have been working on playing in a number of different manners, meaning at times being aggressive and at times being more conservative. And I'd kind of agree, Mark. You know, it was a competitive and up-tempo first 15 minutes. It was also for 15 minutes in which I felt this is way too wide open. The Rapids are going to make one mistake and Seattle's going to get on the counter and they're going to score and it's going to open up the floodgates and look at what happened. So maybe you start that out for the first 15 minutes to make Seattle a little bit uncomfortable but you know two three times that they play back to fry they go out wide they go into um you know Jao Paulo and then they play out of that press maybe you have to acknowledge that press isn't working or something about that needs to be tweaked slightly and so I think that was the first time that we saw Robin I think publicly acknowledge like introspection on setting the team up as a whole to fail he's taking responsibility for putting players in difficult situations before Mark um but one thing I know, Robin Frazier learns from his mistakes, so this is something that I think he's going to iterate and learn on when these situations come up again, and I think he's going to be better for it, and I think he's going to set up the team to be better for it. And you have to believe just more game reps, more time together and everything. You know, Gershbach had been with the team, I think, two weeks, maybe two and a half. Max Su, it was his, I think, first 10 days 
at the club as well. I have to believe that so much growth that's going to happen in the next month is just guys getting settled in, getting fit, and then getting used to the teammates around them. This is not an indictment on V3 debutants in terms of their quality. I think individually, I think there's a lot of seal. There's a lot of space between where they were at on Sunday night and where their ceilings are at with this team. Rabbi, anything else we want to say about Seattle, or do we want to move on from this? And do you want to tell listeners about our Substack? Yeah, absolutely, folks. Uh, you support this show, and you support our written work online by becoming a paid highliner, a paid subs- subscriber to our um, podcast. Folks, we are supported by you, our loyal listeners to this year's podcast. We love doing this. We love following the Rapids, driving out to training, flying to road games, and interviewing players. We love spending our day off of our day jobs, writing soccer articles for Holding the Highline Substack, and creating beautiful merch like the Someday Soon mug of beer that you're going to be able to get as soon as we find someone who's actually talented at graphic design, which does not include me or Matt. Um, but we also love to pay our rent and occasionally hoist a pint provided by our listeners as a thank you for our efforts. So if you can help us out by subscribing to our Substack, you can become a paid supporter, AKA highliner by just putting in $5 a month or $42 for the year. A yearly subscription will get you some discounted or free merch from us this year, a beer mug or a Stein design pending and some behind the paywall articles and some fun audio stuff as well. You'll be supporting citizens, soccer, journalism, and we appreciate you. Matt, let's go on to our next segment. So we've got some news to talk about, Mark. First, we'll talk, we'll talk in a minute about why Diego Rubio was absent from this game. But one little Friday news dump that got buried that I think is worth highlighting, Saturday news dump that got buried. Uh, Mark, the Colorado Rapids announced that they've made a number of three-year contract extensions, uh, keeping a number of staff, backroom staff for Robin Frazier with the club through 2025. That included assistant coaches Neil Emblem, Woldy Harris, and Chris Little, goalkeeper and effectively set-piece coordinator uh, Chris Sharpie, as well as first-team analyst Jace Kim, and athletic trainer Rick Guter, and the head of sports science and performance Ahron Throde, A-H-R-O-N on the first name, T-H-O-D-E. Um, I apologize if I got any of those names incorrectly. Pretty sure I pronounced Chris Little correctly. Uh, Mark, anything we want to say about this? Um, I assume we are happy that Sharpie and Woolley are staying with the club and locked in through the next three years. It's good news. I mean, I think club stability is always important. Um, you know, it's pretty common that uh, and a head coach gets to choose their assistants. Um, I think this is a pretty good sign. I think it's also really good from a sustainability perspective. And I don't want to think too far ahead, but I do think that the reality is in the event that you lose a head coach at the end of a year for whatever reason – um, you know, you always want a couple of assistant coaches who continue on and maintain continuity. I mean, Chris Sharpie is the best example of that. He has been with this team since the Pablo Mastroeni era, which means he survived now through five coaches. Is that right? If you're counting Steve Cook and if you're counting um, Connor Casey, uh, I think that's five. So, you know, the, the fact that some of these guys like Woldy Harris are going to be with this team um, through a couple more, at least one more, uh, at least for another year, potentially, you know, another administration down the road, that's a good sign for the team in terms of stability. 
And I should point out, Mark, all of these staff uh, members that we just named are people who predated Robin Frazier, who now ultimately there was a contract that was expiring that they chose to extend or somebody who Robin Frazier hired himself as well. So all of these people have either proven themselves under Robin Frazier that they were going, that they should stay at the club. The club could have chosen to let those contracts run out and have Robin handpick somebody else as well, or it's somebody who he's brought in who's almost ultimately then proved themselves around. So every single one of these guys that did that, like this is just another affirmation of the quality that they bring to the club as well. Worldly Harris in the attack, obviously Chris Sharpie bringing great value. I'm not entirely sure what the head of sports science and performance does in that regard, Mark, but um, hopefully it's good things given that uh, other than Diego Rubio's uh, the, the loose body in his knee, the team is relatively healthy to start the season. On that note, Mark, let's talk about it. On Monday morning, the Colorado Rapids announced that Diego Rubio would miss the next two to five weeks. He underwent knee, knee surgery on his right knee. It was a minor knee surgery, folks. No MCL, no ACL. You don't need to get triggered after what happened in preseason last year for the Rapids, but um, this was to remove a loose body. Mark, you're the knee surgery. I've had injuries and know about this science better expert on this. My understanding is a loose body could be a piece of cartilage or a piece of bone. It's a very, very minor um, surgery in that regard relative to an ACL tear or something like that. And it's not necessarily a big deal that a small piece of bone or a small piece of cartilage gets removed. It's not like Diego Rubio only has two thirds of a kneecap or something like this, but it will sideline him for two to five weeks. That's an interesting timeline, Rabbi, in terms of the, like the length of it for long stuff, you know, it's three to four weeks or it's three to five weeks or it's six to eight weeks or it's two months to three months. The fact that like the shortness of it and then like relative to the, um, to the error bar bars on that are relatively wide, which says that it might have some complications or at the very least could, um, this could have infected Diego Rubio's fitness that ultimately will mean that he wasn't fully fit to start the season anyways, where he's not going to be 90 minutes fit at the end of that two to five weeks as well. And I think it also points out, Mark, that I think there's a valid question as long as Rubio's out, where are the goals coming from this? Because Cabral was on the bench on Sunday. He wasn't particularly great when he came off the bench as well. We all love D we all love Darren Yappy. Mark, you and I have been on the Darren Yappy hype train. If you're not on the Darren Yappy hype train, we'd love to hear from you. You Tweet us at Rapids96Podcast. Uh, use the hashtag AskHDHL. Email us at Rapids96Podcast at gmail.com. Why you're not excited about Darren Yappy, but... Mark, neither of those two people is Diego Rubio, and I'm really curious to see how this team's going to find a way to score a goal on Saturday against Sporting Kansas City. Rabbi, what does this mean for the Rapids as someone who has had major knee surgery? What does this mean for Diego Rubio? I can't add too much. The only thing I, I'll add is, so I, I haven't had major knee surgery. I've had a torn ACL, but it was partially torn. So I got lucky and I had to do physical therapy and recovered. But, you know, I still have to this day, Matt, um, when I stand up for too long, I have to kind of pop my right knee. And what that popping is, is I have meniscus damage. Um, and the meniscus is, you know, a, a body of Basically, we should have my wife on the podcast at this point because she's a physical therapist and she understands this a little bit better than me. But your meniscus and the cartilage in your knee are kind of some of the padding that helps to buffer between the bones and the ligaments and connect all of the things together. And when you do a good tweak uh, of your knee, the cartilage and the meniscus can get damaged and some of that can float around in there. And when it floats around in the fluid of the knee, it can irritate. Um, and mine still does that today. Like if I 
uh, go for a long run or I go skiing or whatever. And it, it's, um, uh, it's been a particularly strenuous exercise or my muscles aren't really supporting me to the degree that, um, they need to, cause they're tired and old and I'm 46 years old. Um, my knee swells up and, and that's just how it is. And that's because there's a bunch of stuff gunk, you know, uh, uh, floating around in my knee. If you have arthroscopic surgery, which has been recommended to me, you know, back in the day when, but I'm not a top athlete, so I don't really need it. Um, then you go in there with an arthroscopic device, you trim it, you suck it out. Um, and then those little floating bodies don't cause irritation in the knee. And that's basically what happened here. There's uh, a little bit of, you know, uh, loose bodies floating around in the knee. Um, it's nothing major. It's, it doesn't indicate anything else. It usually, um, you know, resolves right away. Um, and I think that's, that's good. The only thing that's weird about this is the timing. My assumption is he probably tweaked a knee towards the middle of training. Um, but ideally, you know, if you're experiencing knee trouble, either before the season or at the beginning of preseason, you shut down, you go to the arthroscopic sur- orthopedic surgeon and you take care of that immediately. So I'm assuming that it's jumped up at the very end of training. And that's the only reason that the timing is so uh, inopportune. But um, yeah, I mean, he should be with a little bit of physical therapy and a little bit of, of focus. He should be right as rain and back. They gave, I think, a timeline of two to five weeks. Um, usually when usually in knee injuries with uh, designated player uh, individuals, when they say two to five weeks, they mean five weeks. So I would not rush a player like Diego Rubio back, um, especially since March is nice, but it's not essential. You know what I mean? Like um, you need a good run of games in April and May to kind of prove your bona fides as a, as a major league soccer team. Um, you know, you ain't winning the league in April. So and you ain't winning the league in, in March. So don't rush it. Listeners, this coming Saturday at Dick's Sporting Goods Park at 7.30 p.m., the Colorado Rapids will have their season home opener against Sporting Kansas City. We are currently 134th through the Colorado Rapids 2023 season. Rabbi, can you guess where they are in the Supporter Shield standings? Dead last, Matt. I looked it up, and it's not even because of the alphabet. It's because of goal differential. We are not good. Yes, so the Colorado Rapids are in 14th place in the Western Conference. They have a record of 0-1-0 and and a goal difference of negative 4, as Rabbi just mentioned. Sporting Kansas City tied on the Rapids with points. All points also 0-1-0, but they just have a goal difference of negative 1, them losing in their rescheduled game on Monday Night Football against Portland Timbers in a 1-0 game. Um, Mark, before we get to the actual roster, um, you and I were both doing some opposition research. What did we make of Sporting Kansas City in that match? It's a good question. Uh, it's hard to figure out what Sporting Kansas City are capable of um, because they were missing their two most important players in this game. Gadi Kinda is a midfielder. Um, sometimes forward, who has incredible capabilities, but was shut down last year with a knee injury. Alan Polito is a forward, usually comes in on the left side, I think, um, who also was shut down at the beginning, beginning, beginning of last year with a torn ACL, I believe. Um, And so I don't expect either of those players to be back this week for the Colorado Rapids, but in the game that I watched of Sporting Kansas City, 
they were a little bit less Kansas City-y than they have been in the past. So Peter Vermes' signature three seasons ago was possession-based football, right? Possess the ball, move the ball around, make it really hard for the opponent to do anything, um, and you'll win the game. And in this game, they um, won possession, but not because they played possession football. The reason was because Santi Mosquera scored for Portland in the sixth minute, and you're always going to like cede possession to the opponent as long as you have a lead because you want to play defensive football. So I thought Portland and um, SKC played a very even match. I thought they were both very good. SKC has some real dangerous weapons um, who are really capable of clicking on all cylinders when they want to. Daniel Shallowy, S-A-L-L-O-I with a funny little apostrophe uh, over the I, um, is a really talented young player who can do a lot of things. Um, Willie Agata, who is a Nigerian player playing at center forward, he came out of the Israeli league and he scored a ton of goals for Hapol Jerusalem, which is actually my favorite team in Israel. Um, of course, I can't actually watch any of those games unless I'm there in person because you can't get a live stream of the Israeli League without paying, no joke, folks, $40 a month. So um, I like Israeli football, but not $600, $480 a year. Um, much. And we're complaining about the price point of MLS season pass. <laughs> I know, right? But it's the most ridiculously overpriced league in, in the world. Um, but uh, uh, Agata had, uh, I think, eight goals, two assists last year in just 10 games. So he's a spectacular talent. Um, he can really do some really great things. It's a very talented team. Um, they've really kind of rebooted. Uh, they even started uh, John Pulskamp in goal instead of um, Tim Melia, which I think surprised me. The two of them mostly split their matches last year. I think that means Pulskamp is the number one goalkeeper for this year the only old holdover player of course um is the wizened um saint zussi graham zussi himself who is still playing at right back for this team and that was you know neat to see he hasn't lost a step he's well he's lost a step but he hasn't he hasn't lost a step to the degree that he no longer belongs on the field so i really liked sporting kansas city um they lost this game against portland one to nothing I do think they're going to make it hard for the Rapids. But that being said, I think Colorado will match up okay with this team. This is a winnable game for the Rapids. Matt, what's your assessment of SKC? Uh, two things that I want to point out, Mark, on players you didn't mention. Um, so we have, obviously, there was Pulse Camp and goal. Tim Melia, who Rapids, who Rapids fans will be more familiar with, was not on the benchmark. He had an injury in during preseason that limited his availability. He was not listed on the availability report for week one of MLS. So I wonder if that was kind of a situation of you're finally back healthy, but you haven't gotten the reps, so we're going to give it to the guy who gets the ramps um i do not i have a hard time believing mark that goalkeeper mcintosh is really the second best goalkeeper on sporting kansas city right now but i think it's a valid question because when we've seen pulse camp he wasn't particularly great and rabbi i don't know how much how close a look you looked at the um at the goal the other night that um not great that mascara scored it was it was a butterfingersy kind of thing we'd be roasting yeah. timelia uh timelia excuse me we'd be roasting william yarbrough if he made that mistake against seattle sounders as well so i think that's a valid question and the one player you didn't mention mark uh two guys that i really like in the midfielder 
Walter has kind of been their nice like tempo setting, not Jack Price in the same way or to the same quality, <clears throat> but he's like the the metronome in the midfield. And then Eric Tommy, I thought was absolutely fantastic, and I've really liked every single time I've watched him live and on and on ESPN Plus last year. I really liked him. I don't watch every single Sporting Kansas City game, but he's a player that I'm worried about. I'm more worried about him than I am. Kyrie Shelton. I'm more worried about him than I am an out of form Daniel Shallowy and TBD on Agata Mark. I think you brought up some some interesting points on why SKC fans can be excited about him coming to the club. But I think it's I think it's just as interesting a question mark from a tactics and a personnel situation what's going on with sporting kansas city given some of their injured players and some of the new faces that they've brought in to the rapids where i think similarly i'm not super surprised at the result because you've got you know you had a portland team that came out played defensively let kansas city have the ball they scored a fortuitous goal and everything and they packed up shop and then made their lives absolutely miserable where have we seen the portland timbers do that before pray tell colorado rapids fans so I'm not particularly surprised at the result. The Sporting Kansas City got punked, Mark. But, um, you know, I agree with you that it's a winnable game. It's also a game, I, I would say, obviously our closest rivalry geographically outside of Real Salt Lake. I feel like the Rapids always, Mark, play Sporting Kansas City early on in the season. And it's kind of a cold, grinded out game that's not particularly <laughs> exciting. But it's also really, really competitive and really tightly contested as well in that regard. So I could see a 1-1 draw. I think the least likely outcome of the three possible ones is a Sporting Kansas City win, a Colorado Rapids loss. Um you know, I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens from a personnel standpoint. I wasn't super impressed with sporting Kansas City center backs in this. Should be pointed out, folks, uh, Courtney Ford will not be – he might be traveling with the team. He obviously won't be in with the team. I think it was two weeks ago, maybe three now, Mark, um, that it was announced that he tore his Achilles in preseason. So probably out for the majority, if not all of this season. So no Court Ford coming back to score against the – Colorado Rapids, but I'm not super convinced in this defense, Mark, whether it's Tim Melia, who hasn't played a whole lot in preseason, or Pulse Camp. I thought Ben Sweat got cooked by Portland at the left-back position as well, and Graham Zussi is wise and very, very smart as well. Can Alex Gersbach be faster and more nimble than him? Probably as well, but I'm really interested to see what happens on that on the, the Rapids right sporting Kansas City left flank. So to your point, Mark, about where does Alan Polita go and what if he starts and what does that mean for Willie Agata? Does one of them go out left or does Shallowy stay out there? You know, you could have Shallowy and Tommy versus Cole Bassett and Keegan Rosenberry. Interesting matchup. And, you know, just I, I've got not a lot of questions in terms of the I, I'm pretty certain on seven, maybe eight of the starters and where they're playing for both Sporting Kansas City and for the Rapids. But I think those three questions that you have, I think, are really big questions. Does Alan Polito come in? And if so, where does he ultimately play? Do we see Kevin Cabral come in? And if so, where does he play? I think those are those are two or three big questions on both sides that could really significantly affect how I'm feeling about this game. Mark, I wasn't super happy with Sam Nicholson. Uh, Michael Barrios looked like he was on the wrong side of 30 as well. If it's not Kevin Cabral starting and either up top, maybe with Yappi in a two, or you know, with, with Cabral being the underneath the channel runny um, striker, uh, the Dombaji role, maybe, or if it's not play him playing on the left, I've got questions as to why and what are we seeing in 
training from Barrios or Nicholson or whomever that would warrant them starting as well. Um, and what what did Kyrie Shelton do the other day? What has he done historically that suggests that he's a better striker than Alan Polito? Now, if it's Polito obviously coming back from an ACL injury and they're trying to work his way into fitness as well, I can be convinced into that. But I've I've got questions uh, how I feel going into the game, Rabbi, and how I will feel about the likelihood of a Rapids win will probably be dependent upon when the lineups come out. And I felt the exact same way on Saturday afternoon when I saw that Rubio was going to be out for this game and Jack Price was questionable. Yeah, I'll just add, you know, the name that got mentioned by our buddy Joe Samuelson last week and then got revealed this week in the pregame um match report by the Rapids was uh, Jonathan Lewis. That uh, Lewis apparently has some sort of right angle injury and was ruled out. He was out, I think, of the last two preseason games as well. So that gives me pause. It makes me feel like this is a serious ankle injury, not a broken ankle. That would I would think the Rapids would report on that already and, and give us some, some time uh, on that. But you know, you can have a pretty severe sprain that can go a couple weeks. I would really like to know whether Jonathan Lewis is available, because I think even though they play roughly the same position, um, Lewis and Cabral could form a good left-right um, option. You could have one of them play inverted. Um, Lewis has played inverted on the right in short um, stretches uh, repeatedly for the Rapids. Um, another possibility is that they figure out some other way of um, integrating Brian Galvan in at a, a, an attacking position and as a starting position um, and, you know, move somebody else over to the right like Nicholson. So um, this is where the Rapids are at right now, which is they need to start to figure out how to attack from those uh, attacking wide players in a way that's going to produce results. I think a lot of people were questionable of Barrios last year. He mostly came in as a sub. Um, we may be in a position this year as a team where we need to kind of move on from him as a viable first string starting option because he just doesn't give you the kind of top end speed that he used to. Um, he gives you the dribbling ability. Uh, and he's as tricky and difficult to deal with as possible. He's also really tenacious in forward pressing, um, but you really want speed at that position, and he may not be the guy to give it. So, um, but I think you, you know, in focusing on this idea, Matt, you've really hit the nail on the head, which is um, if Sporting are vulnerable, it's at the fullback locations, specifically Ben Sweat's left back position, and maybe you go right at him and hope that you can produce results there. On that note, Mark, let's do lineups and then our prediction on this one. I think, uh, so I'll just do the changes because I think the back line will remain the same. I think Yarbrough will remain in goal. Marco Illich, folks, uh, as of today at time of recording, is not yet in country. He's still dealing with the visa situation. So I think it'll be Yarbrough. I think back line's unchanged. I think it's Jack Price in for Priso and then Ronan moved up as well, Mark. And then my front three, I will go Yappy up the middle. I will go Kevin Cabral on the left and I will go Sam Nicholson on the right and my first attacking sub would be 
Brian Galvan, 55th to 65th minute at the absolute latest in the second half for one Sam Nicholson. And if that happens, Rabbi, and assuming we don't see a significant overhaul in terms of suddenly players who were injured last year for Kansas City get, you know, if if, Gotti, if you tell me Gotti Kingda and Alan Pulido are both 90 minutes fit this week as well, then that would change that. But barring that as well, I think if it's that lineup, Mark, and they play to the level that I think they're capable of, I think the Rapids win a KG close, slightly unconvincing 2-1 game. Rabbi, your lineup, your score prediction. I'm going to give three changes over last week, uh, mostly agreeing with you. Uh, first changes in the front three, I think exactly what you said. It'll be Cabral, it'll be Yappi, and Nicholson. Um, in the middle, I expect Jack Price to come in and take over for Ralph Brizzo. I think in the back line, maybe, maybe, they sit Lalas Abubakar this week and put on uh, uh, Danny Wilson. And I think that the idea of um, Wilson being the kind of relaxed, stay-at-home, doesn't-have-to-run-an-open-field guy who can spray the ball and pass the ball really well... Um, because I thought Abubakar did a good job as a passing center back. He got the most passes along the back line. Um, he had, I think, a 96% passing percentage, but mostly that was in, he was padding his numbers with safe passes. But I think bringing Danny Wilson in to be the pivot at the back line, Andreas Maxo doing the, the tough work of uh, clearing balls and making forward tackles, I think that would be a good move. No change at goalkeeper. It's going to be Yarborough again. That's my expectation for this week. Uh, and then your predicted scoreline, Mark. I think Colorado does really well in home openers. They've been historically very strong the last couple seasons in home openers. Um, alti- strength at altitude is always a factor. Um, SKC, I was really impressed by them this week, but they're this past week. But I really do think that the, the X factor for them is when Polito and, and Kinda get back on the field. And until that day, I think they're still going to be second best unless they're at home. So um, I'm going to say that this game, the Rapids are going to get a 2-0 victory. Um, they'll probably score that second goal in garbage time or off of a set piece. Uh, you know, this is another one of those days where we're really excited to have a home opener. Fans are going to come out in droves. They're going to be energized. They're going to be pumped. and the And the team will respond to it in kind. Mark, you said 2-0. Do we get Yappi opening his MLS account? Uh, I think we get Cabral opening his Rapids account. I, I think that that's, that's what I'm most looking forward to, which is that um, I, I want to be part of the Cabral bandwagon before it leaves the station. You know, statistically speaking, you know, he's he's not great at finishing, but finishing is a funny thing you know it comes and it goes and maybe a season's worth of bad finishing will ultimately result in getting some good finishing from us so um i think cabral gets it and let's go with a defender is going to pump in one of those uh surprising goals from somewhere way out like a keegan rosenberry screamer from outside the box or a uh uh maybe andreas maxo opens his account that would be fun to see two new rapid score two goals as they're at, as, as the, at at the home opener, Matt, you should wrap it up for us by telling us about how our highliners can, and all those who are listening to this podcast can hit us up and follow our materials. Check us on the socials or read us an email. Yeah. Listeners, you can 
Follow us collectively on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi at LWS Matt Pollard and at Rapids 96 podcast. You can read our rapid specific content for me, burgundywave.com, and obviously on the whole on the Substack, holding the highline.substack.com. You can subscribe to us via email there. That's also where you can become a paid highliner as well. Uh, you can email us uh, at rapids96podcast at gmail.com and send us your questions on Twitter at using the hashtag AskHTHL, and we'll answer you on the show. If you are going to the team kickoff party um, at Asterix Woo! on Wednesday, I will be there. I'll be in the media section, hopefully talking to Pat Milbury, the designer of the new Rapids kit. Feel free to come up and say hi, Mark. We've had I've had so many interactions where I'm in public and then a Rapids fan is interested in coming up and is super nervous nervous talking to me like i'm a celebrity like <laughs> literally if you want to come up to me and talk to me about the rapids and an event that the rapids are putting on that warms the cockles of my redheaded heart and fills the void where i do not have a soul and i would be happy to talk to you regardless of how nervous <laughs> or concerned you are about that listeners we'll see you next week peace